Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. listening to Inside the Hive, where Vanity Fair writers tackle the week's news in politics, media, and entertainment. I'm Natalie Jarvie, a Hollywood correspondent at Vanity Fair, writing about the business of entertainment. And I'm Delia Kai, a senior Vanities correspondent at Vanity Fair covering culture and celebrity. In this episode, we're talking about the state of the influencer, namely what fame looks like online and if the internet is now the new American dream. Julia, I think the new American dream is such a great place to start because what's more American than Barbie? And I read your great Vanity Fair piece this last week. Uh, it's Barbie's world. We're ju- we just live here. It was so fun. I thought it was a great look at how Barbie has become an influencer. And I'd love to know more from you about how did you even find out that that she had a huge presence on social media platforms like Instagram? Yeah, Um Thank you so much. I'm so glad that you liked the story. It was a very fun one to to report out. Um, I think, honestly, it was like a few years ago, for whatever reason, I stumbled across Barbie's Instagram. The whole, like, conceit of that Instagram account is that, like, it's pretending Barbie's a real person and she's posting on Instagram the way that influencers all do now And I remember just being surprised because I was like, this is a good Instagram account. Like, whoever's running this is very funny and very much gets the whole, like, influencer culture that has, like, pervaded online life. And it just, it's it's sort of genius because it's such a good fit. I am a former diehard Barbie kid, so this was just very personally interesting to me. And then I saw that she she had joined TikTok. And I was just like, wait, this is incredible. Like, I want to know who at Mattel is like, you know, I have this crazy idea. So rarely do you see a corporation being with it when it comes to social media. So first off, I'm, I'm so um, annoyed that TikTok isn't serving me Barbie content because like you, I was such a, a diehard Barbie kid growing up. Um, I have to know what it was like, uh, you know, at Mattel's headquarters um, here in L.A. Uh, what what was the vibe like on a Barbie shoot? So I haven't spent much time on shoots in general, um, but I was sort of blown away by just like what a production it was. You know, they had, you know, these big cameras set up. They had all of these, like, people on the team. Like, she had her wardrobe stylist, but then she also had a set stylist pose her. Um, There was, like, an art department that just made all of her little props. And so it was very much, I was like, oh, like, this is what I imagine almost like a tiny little movie shoot (laughs) must look like. Um, Her house, so, like, uh, for Instagram especially, she, like, Posts a lot of she posts a lot of photos from like her home in Malibu, quote unquote, and it's like a big dollhouse. You know, it sort of reminds you of like all the little like furniture and little knickknacks you get when you're a kid. But this was on a whole other level, and it was also very funny because it was very much like 
millennial aesthetic. Like Barbie had like a little pink espresso machine, <laughs> her little pink fridge. And so I think her bed was like a collaboration with Joybird. So it was like, oh, here's her Joybird bed that you could also buy as an adult. So seeing all of those trappings like shrunken down was really delightful. So I feel like it's kind of hard to capture like how you know, how closely this feels like it aligns with, you know, real content that you're seeing on TikTok um, without Mm. seeing some of it. Um, So can you maybe describe, uh, you know, give me an example of some of the, the, your favorite Barbie TikToks or Instagrams? Yeah. um, So I can show you some videos. Uh, There's this one where it's really funny because (laughs) there's just like the layers of like the meta-ness and irony to it. Um, Let me see if I can pull it up. How do we make our videos look so good? I guess the answer is with a lot of help from my friends. I love that she's at least acknowledging that it's not all her. She doesn't just wake up like this, right? (laughs) I know. I think it's so real of Barbie to be like, guess what, guys? Actually, it takes a really big team, both on a doll size level and a human size level to do it. The video is basically her like panning out and showing like other Barbie dolls pretending to shoot, you know, her content with, like, their tiny little cameras. I also love Ken standing in the background with, like, the giant fern leaf. (laughs) He's a good Instagram boyfriend. He absolutely is. So I think what's so kind of funny about all of this is is how, like, in on the joke Barbie is. Uh, And and you talked about that in your piece, and I want to read one, um, you know, sentence in your story that I feel like really kind of summed it up, um, which is that you wrote, uh, where Barbie's social media gets most deliciously meta is when she reflects the trappings of influencer culture back to us. Even Barbie knows the illusion is the point. Can you talk a little bit more about like what you meant? Yeah. um, She's like very much like kind of pretending or she's very much um, taking cues or, or copying like, you know, human influencers. She also does, like, some astrology content. So she's covering all her bases on TikTok. Um, Let me show you some. Barbie aesthetics based on your horoscope. Water signs. Cancer. Scorpio. Pisces. What do you think? Did your sign match your style? Honestly, I would love like a human-sized version of some of those outfits. Those are great, right? <laughs> I swear I've seen that, like many versions of that video done by real people. Um, like when I was on set, a lot of the feedback that was given was like, you know, we want her pose to look very human. We don't want her to look doll-like. This is so wild to, to you know, realize that we're talking about like how to make this doll look more human-like. It's like this weird playing with authenticity where she's like, oh, I'm going to be real and show you the work that goes behind, you know, taking a TikTok video. But I sound crazy whenever I get into talking about this too much because I'm like, and then we humans, you know, understand that that itself is also a set and there are actual humans at work lighting these dolls, taking the actual image, you know. Um, So I think that just that just like never stops blowing my mind, the layers of that. And I don't know, there's something super real about how, like, you know, just like we're never going to have the aspirational life of the actual influencers who are doing this. Mm -hmm. And I I just sort of think, like, what are our modern day influencers, if not like people trying to be 
Barbie in terms of like, you know, a, like someone with who always looks perfect, who has like, you know, never repeats an outfit, is always like up on the trends, you know, is an astronaut one day, but then like at a red carpet event the next day. And so I, I'm sort of very enchanted by the idea that like there's a feedback loop between like, you know, Barbie and then modern day influencers who are now influencing Barbie. It's just like, it's like, it's like this funny little circle of feedback. (laughs) Inside the Hive, we'll be back in just a moment to talk about the dreams of the creator economy. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, healthcare, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts. So, Delia, your story about Barbie is such an interesting way to talk about the rise of the influencer and the creator economy, because it feels like it's just become so infused in our society that even inanimate objects like children's toys are becoming influencers. And I know that I've even noticed this in my own life, like the the mom influencers that I follow um, and have followed since I started having my own children you know, they maybe started posting their kids' faces at first, but but lately they've been rethinking how much they want to, you know, put their kids in front of the camera. Yeah, I was just reading this article um, in Teen Vogue recently um, from the writer for Tessa Latifi interviewing children of influencers. Um, these kids are growing up and they're like, I don't want to be a part of this. Um, I I think one of the interviewees was saying that, you know, the first time I went viral, I was a toddler. Um, and they were saying, like, you know, when your parents are influencers and they're making content about you, uh, that also means that your dad is your boss. Uh, and also, and this is all happening while you're still a kid trying to be normal and you don't really know, like, you don't understand the economics of it. A really sad part of this article is that this interview subject was saying that, you know, when I was a kid, I asked my dad, can I just not do videos anymore? And he was like, well, we'd have to move into like a much less nice house, you know, if we if we stopped. And I was like, oh, my God, that's a crazy amount of pressure to have as a kid. Uh, And so it really makes sense that there's this like growing ambivalence and awareness of oh, you know, making content about my kids and, you know, basically making them be content creators without them really understanding or being able to understand what that all means until they grow up and realize they have this whole internet footprint um, of their lives. Like, maybe that's not such a good idea. And I'm curious, like, what have you read about what some of these kids are doing when they do finally have that agency and that choice? Like, what are they what are they doing about it? There's also been a lot of advocacy work around, um, you know, having legislation put in place sort of in the vein of protecting child actors, you know, making sure that the kids who are the star of the YouTube video or whatever are getting, you know, are getting a cut. Um, I think so this article mentioned that, you know, there are activists and lawmakers pushing for protections for like the privacy and earnings of these children of influencers. There's this proposed bill in uh, the Washington State House 
that's looking to give similar protections that um, this law in California gives child actors. It's called the Coogan Law, but under the Coogan Law, 15% of a minor's earnings must be set aside by the employer in a block trust. But like right now, there's no rule like that for, for child influencers. And so... It, yeah, like that that just blows my mind, but it is very indicative of like how fast this in- whole industry has cropped up. Like we're just now thinking of these kids where it's like, oh, like maybe, you know, how are we how are we going to do right by them? You know? Yeah, the Internet for a long time and, and creator economy has always been described to me as like the wild, wild west, you know, and I think the fact that, you know, there's not a Coogan Law style protection in place for kids is just like an example of yeah, the ways in which this is still like a really new industry, even though, you know, mm-hmm. it's been around for over a decade. Um, is there anyone in particular that you've seen who's kind of leading the charge and, and speaking out about this? Um, yeah, so this, I mean, this article cites like at um, Soft Scorpio on TikTok, who, who's been doing a lot of work advocating for like protecting children from the influencer economy. They testified in support of that that Washington state bill. For our remote testifiers, we have Cam Barrett, please. Um, first, I just want to thank you, Mr. Chair and ranking members of the committee for your time. My name is Kami, and I'm here to testify in support of House Bill 1627. Um, I just want to note that today is the first time that I've introduced myself with my legal name in three years because I'm terrified to share my name because the digital footprint I had no control over exists. I apologize. When you Google my name, simply just my first name, childhood photos of me in bikinis will pop. When I was nine years old, the intimate details of my first period were shared online. At 12, I received a DM from a man who I didn't know who saw me riding my bike and told me he followed me home. Mr. Chairman and ranking members of the committee, I plead you to be the voice for this generation of children because I know firsthand what it's like to not have a choice in which a digital footprint you didn't create follows you around for the rest of your life with no option for it to be removed. I thank you for your time. <sighs> Natalie, I don't know about you, but I got like really emotional watching that. Yeah, I mean, it really, I feel like hits home how little choice some of these children have in in mm-hmm. what about their lives is broadcast online. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's uh, someone um, at mom.uncharted who apparently like their whole thing is kind of like calling out child exploitation on social media via TikTok. Imagine someone doing this to an adult. Imagine somebody setting up a camera to film an adult while they are sleeping and then post it to the Internet without their knowledge or consent. Why? Why are you making an entire account based around your child sleeping. Parents are always filming in hopes of having something to post on the internet. Like, what's that going to do to these kids? <laughs> but I, sorry, I'm just like, who's watching videos of someone else's baby sleeping? That is very strange to me. But there are always quarters of TikTok I, that surprised me. I mean, just like that shot of like all those videos from the same like crib angle. It's a little creepy. It's a little creepy. I'll just say that. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, gosh, I I wouldn't feel great about random strangers on the internet watching my child sleep. Yeah. Seems like parenting is full of these like very precious, intimate moments. 
And the idea of sharing all of that with strangers is sort of seems wild to me in terms of like, but like, do people deserve to see that? But I guess, yeah, I, I guess like that's what this whole conversation is about is less so like, you know, a matter of personal preference, but versus like, you know, out of respect to your child's personhood and their future like adulthood and um, sense of self, right? It's not like, oh, I'm not comfortable. It's like, what is this going to do for them? Yeah, I mean, I think the message that that has echoed across a lot of the people who've talked about this, who, you know, were, you know, maybe broadcast on the internet as children is, is the lack of choice that they weren't given mm-hmm. that opportunity to decide for themselves what inter- information they wanted out there. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it feels like, you know, that has has taken away and kind of disempowered them in a way that has been really challenging. I had a conversation actually about this with my younger brother at one point because he's much younger than me so for a while he was still like a kid and I was not and I was posting photos of us and at one point I was like wait should I ask you I was like can I you know do you want me to ask you before I put something on Instagram and I think he was 12 or 13 and he was like yeah and I was kind of bummed out you know but I was like okay like I get it so I yeah in a small way that was like my experience with with that that's super interesting yeah I mean and uh, you know, it's good that you you respected his wishes, right? Um, and and listened to what he had to say. He's lax about it now, though. I'll like send him a, a photo, and he'll be like, "Yeah, it's fine, whatever." <laughs> no one wants a bad photo of themselves on the internet, yeah. so I understand. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really important and great that people are starting to wise up to like what is the five to ten year to like lifetime consequence of. Uh, packaging up my life and the lives of, you know, my kids or my loved ones into the internet portal where you just don't know where things go. You don't know how big things can get, Um, especially on TikTok. It's like you don't know when lightning will strike and you'll be viral one day. Yeah. To your point, I mean, I think so much of this is still unexpected when it happens, uh, that when, when fame strikes on the internet. And, and so it makes sense that, that people are having to kind of navigate it as they go along. Inside the Hive, we'll be back in just a moment. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of sh. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden starting March 19th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. (laughs) 
All this talk about the effect that social media is having on children who have grown up with this makes me think a lot about the celebrities who have, you know, kind of grown up in the public eye. Um, in particular, uh, the the one that has kind of captured my attention lately is this supposed feud between Selena Gomez and Hailey Bieber. If you've been following this thing uh, between Selena Gomez and Hailey Bieber, it's gotten nasty online. Remember, it started with the whole eyebrow controversy. People were actually digging into everything about Haley and kind of pinpointed it like she was trying to embody Selena. So that's why she was getting all this hate. But death look, threats? Selena but has death, death threats? I mean, seriously threats, over yeah. this? Delia, I know you wrote about it in a really smart way recently. Uh, can you maybe fill us in on, on what's been going on there? Yeah, I mean, how, how much time do you have? <laughs> uh, I think the very short of it is just that Selena Gomez and Justin Bieber dated uh, for many years on and off. And then at one point, Justin Bieber met Haley Baldwin and they got married. And they've been married, I think, for I think for like five or so years now. But this like army of fans have just never let go of this like suspicion of rivalry between the two women because for whatever reason, they they still ship Selena and Justin, and they think something is fishy about Justin and Haley's marriage. These fans over the years are now pretty convinced that there must exist a rivalry between Selena, the ex-girlfriend, and Haley, the wife. Uh, and they have just never let go of this idea that like those two women are are beefing with each other, and and that we can see it on Instagram and, and TikTok and on social media. Anyway, I could talk about this forever. <laughs> you know, there's something about this that strikes me again about this, like, kind of, like, lack of control. It's almost, like, spun out of their control. And yes. I wonder how much of that has to do with the fact that, like, you know, both these women, but but Selena in particular, have just lived so much of their lives online. I think it speaks to the different kind of, like, experiences and backgrounds that they both have, where Selena, like, you know, is a Disney Channel child star. She has been famous for most of her life. Um, and she's been in the public eye. And I, you know, my sort of theory is that she is a lot more experienced and therefore savvier about managing this idea of, like, managing an image, you know, for social media, for the fans. I think she inherently knows that, like, even if I don't address this, it's going to be worse. Or people will fill that negative space with their theories and it's going to be it's going to become more out of hand because I think she understands like you have to, you cannot not engage because then people will read into it and be like, why is she not saying anything? And I think in some ways like Haley is taking the opposite track where she's sort of like, if I just don't say anything, maybe it will go away. My theory is this is why it's not going as well for Haley. But also Haley comes from a different background where she's, you know, kind of like a, she's like the poster child of a Nepo baby. She has cultivated this more aloof image and it's harder to to sort of, you feel like you don't trust her. You feel like you don't know what she's all about. And so, you know, between the two, which one are you going to like, quote unquote, side with? Uh, the answer seems very clear. How much do you think that people's fascination with this story or supposed story in the first place is the fact that they kind of represent the epitome of like a modern day celebrity and like what an influencer can be? Oh, I mean, so I, I think that is the crux of it. They represent like this the apex of, of clout, of internet power. Um, and 
you know, I think there's still something very hilarious about people who are at that level of fame and they're using, you know, the same social media platforms as we are. And so it just sort of feels like we have this direct line into into their lives. And then, you know, by tracking all the little interactions, we feel like we can put together this idea of who they really are as people, which is what being an influencer is all about, right? It's sort of like, oh, you present yourself as this like very believable persona. We all know this is false, but I think innately something inside of us still is falling for it. And and so that tension is is kind of where I think it's the source of much modern misery right now. Yeah, for for Selena and Haley and and us, <laughs> definitely. To like bring this conversation about influencers full circle is that you know at the heart of this so called feud is you know this megastar Justin Bieber who originally came to fame on YouTube and I'm curious like from your point of view like do you have thoughts about the way the relationship between Hollywood and the influencer economy has has grown and developed over the years. Yeah, I mean, it's a space that I've been following for a really long time. And it's interesting because, you know, no surprise, uh, someone becomes famous uh, and and Hollywood comes calling. And, and that really started to happen first in the early 2010s after, you know, you had, you know, the birth of YouTube and, and the creation of these, you know, YouTube stars. Uh, and so all these talent agencies started to build up departments where they could represent YouTube talent. Uh, and, you know, at first I think the idea was that like, oh, these people could become actors, you know, we could put them in a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what they found instead was that, you know, these people were, were famous for being themselves and that, that that is in and of itself is really powerful, but maybe a little bit different. And what they more closely align with is like hosts, personalities. Um, and so they've really leaned into that um, with with talent. You know, they all now seem to have a, a merchandise line of some sort. You know, it's very common for an influencer to have a, a, a beauty brand, a makeup line, a coffee line, whatever it is uh, that they can, you know, that speaks to who they are and, you know, you know that they can then sell to their fans and, and have uh, create a direct relationship with those fans. Uh, you know, the other thing that's really interesting is that Hollywood came calling in this way with the influencer community, the creator economy, by buying up a lot of the companies that uh, worked with this talent. Uh, so a couple of the like main examples of that, Awesomeness TV, which uh, kind of focused on, on more like teen and tween uh, talents, it got acquired by DreamWorks Animation and became kind of an incubator for uh, content aimed at, you know, Gen Z audiences, really. Uh, the other big one uh, was Maker Studios uh, got bought uh, by Disney uh, in a deal that, um, you know, was almost a billion dollars. Uh, and, you know, to bring this really full circle, Delia, what's super interesting is that the guy who was running Maker Studios at the time who sold it to Disney, Enon Kreese, is now the CEO of Mattel and has been since 2018. <gasps> so. <laughs> I'm I'm super curious, like how much that has uh, played a role in in Barbie's influencer strategy. Uh, do you think uh, you know that they're thinking about it in that way? Um, you know, and and you know, thinking about the you know the Barbie brand and what she can mean to the uh, you know Gen Z generation that's you know grown up with influencers. Mm. I mean, okay, a that connection is wild. Uh, it's all connected. <laughs> uh, 
I did have this conversation with the EVP and global head of Barbie and Dolls, Lisa McKnight, where I was sort of like, you know, like, not like what's the point of having a really amazing TikTok account for Barbie, but sort of where I was like, you know, the people who are buying dolls for kids or like these kids themselves are likely not the main audience for for following Barbie on TikTok. But she was sort of like, well, you know, like we we see the Mattel customer as someone that we want to like, you know, invest in and entertain and be there for like throughout their whole life. And so, you know, someone who's not buying Barbies today may become a mother in a few years. And then, you know, that's the headspace they need to be in. And so she she really was sort of talking about this lifetime commitment to the the Mattel customer. So if the plan right now is like we're going to reach these, you know, customers and potential customers through TikTok and Instagram, I felt like that sort of implied that like not only will we have Barbie with us, you know, at all points of our life, but we will have these like touch points, whether it's Instagram or TikTok or the next platform, like those will also be a part of our life, like our life cycle. Uh, And I, you know, that's a bit more chilling to think about, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, once those kids graduate from playing with Barbies, they can graduate to watching Barbie on TikTok, I suppose. (laughs) So, you know, they can stay with them, you know, throughout their lives. And then they'll think about wanting to be maybe influencers themselves. And then they'll get older and be like, do I want this for my kids? And then the life cycle just repeats. (laughs) Exactly. That's so bleak. (laughs) (laughs) We're all stuck here. (laughs) In Barbie's world. Yep, yep. It was fun chatting. Yes. Lovely chatting to you, Natalie. This episode of Inside the Hive was produced by Will Coley. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer. We had engineering assistance from Gintas Norbila. For more news from Inside the Hive, be sure to check out our newsletter at vanityfair.com forward slash newsletter forward slash hive. And let us know what you thought of this episode or if you have any comments or questions. You can find us on Twitter while it still exists. I'm at Delia underscore Kai. And I'm at Nat Jar. Join us again next week for another episode of Inside the Hive, where Wall Street, Washington, and Silicon Valley meet. It's so nice to work on something with someone. I know. Yeah. It's good to, like, actually see faces. Let me know next time you're out in L.A. We'll do a little VF in L.A. crew hangout. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices, and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th.